0: So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore,
1: Amen. Thank you, David. Good morning. Wasn't that a wonderful Easter service last week? Wasn't that just a blessed time in the Lord? I was just overwhelmed with joy and so thankful to the Lord uh, for being able to celebrate His resurrection and His life. You know, but one of the things, if you're really honest with yourself... I don't know if you're like me, but one of the things that I find is sometimes as Easter comes around every year, you kind of get to the place where you're like, I know the story. I know the story. kind of used to this. And it's really nice. I love to celebrate, but the emotion of it all and the entering into it all sometimes fades a little bit over the years. And even as pastors, every Easter, we're like, well... Well, how should we tell the story? (laughs) How can we make it fresh? And we lose sometimes the, again, just the wonder, the awesomeness of God's sending of his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sin, to be resurrected again, and to give us life as we believe upon him. Imagine, though, if for the first time, and go back to the first time that you heard the gospel story, Can you remember it? Imagine if you never heard it before, and all of a sudden someone comes into your community and shares all about Jesus Christ. There's a missionary story where these missionaries went to East Asia, and they brought the Jesus film to East Asia, into the jungles, into a community, a tribal community. And as they went into the tribe, they brought it, and they brought it on film. And they showed a film. So they went into a community that never heard the gospel, never heard anything about Jesus, and then obviously had never seen a movie before. And they started to show the movie. And they saw Jesus caring for people and feeding them and healing their wounds. And then later on in the movie... All of a sudden, they see people stoning Jesus, and he's carrying a cross, and all in the tribe rose up, and they were angry, and they were shouting at the screen because they were entered in. They were saying, stop it, stop it, and the missionary had to stop the movie because actually they started to attack the missionary because they realized he was the one who was in control of this. Stop it. He turned off the movie and he said, Calm down. Sit down. There's more to the story. And then so he started the film again. And it started to roll, and they started to see Jesus go onto the cross and be crucified. And they rose up again in incredible anger and injustice. Stop it! It's not right! And the missionary stopped the film again. And he said, Sit down, there's more to the story. And then the rest of the story went on, and they saw Jesus resurrected and living and coming amongst the many and amongst the disciples. And he was resurrected. And when he was resurrected, the people rose up again shouting and exclaiming, and this time not angry, but rejoicing. And they started to dance. And they started to sing. And they started to give praise to Jesus. And hearts were turned to Jesus. They believed in what was going on. And their lives were turned over to Christ. Because they heard, they saw the gospel story. And God's Holy Spirit poured upon them. Now imagine, if you will if that missionary said to all those in the tribe, oh, no, 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 excuse me. Uh, please sit down. Because Christians, uh, we don't dance. We don't dance. And because dancing promotes sexual immorality and their spontaneous pregnancy, all kinds of stuff goes on when you're dancing. So please sit down. Because... I need to tell you more to the story and how it's done right. But we believe. Well, but hold on. I have, I have these four spiritual laws. We need to walk through these things together first before you can really start your journey with Jesus. So if you'll just take a moment, let me find it. I have it here. But we believe. Yeah, but hold on. There's a sinner's prayer we need to walk through that's the appropriate Christian sinner's prayer, and this is how you have life in Jesus. But we believe. What does it look like, then, to be saved? What is the road to salvation? What does it look like to have life in Christ? How am I to be saved? What does that look like for us? What actions must I take? to be a real Christian, and that is the great debate that we enter into in Acts chapter 15. Is it Jesus plus, or is it grace through faith? Let's seek the Lord this morning in Acts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you will minister through your word to us that you will remind us that you died on the cross to break the chains, that you rose again and have empowered us with the life of Christ as we believe upon you, that you've defeated sin and death. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you will speak your truth of grace to us. May it pour out upon each and every one in this room this morning. Forgive us, Father, when we try to add more than just Jesus. In your precious name, amen. Well, last week, Jackson did a wonderful Easter sermon, and the title of his sermon was, He is risen, now what? And it was a reminder that that the disciples, they kind of went back to what was comfortable, what was safe for them. Jesus is calling Peter, and he's saying, Peter, I want you to come, and do you love me? I want you to feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Feed them. After Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit pours out upon the disciples and upon all those who are gathered, and the church is established. 3,000 come to Christ that day. And all of a sudden, filled with the Holy Spirit, same question goes Now what? How are we to live as a Christian community? Now what? Well, the church is living out in the power of the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're sharing the gospel all over the world now, going out into the Gentile areas, sharing about the life and the death of Jesus, about his death on a cross, his full payment for our sin, and that he offers forgiveness and salvation and new life to those who would believe. Here is the gift of salvation. Will you receive it? People's hearts are being transformed. All the Gentiles are starting to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and they're falling in love with Jesus, and they're receiving him, and they're like those in East Asia and the tribe They're starting to dance with joy in the Lord. Look how Acts 14, 27 ends, if you have your Bibles. It says this, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, this is Paul and Barnabas, they declared, they were exclaiming all that God had done with them, and how he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Oh, they're so excited about all that God is doing. There's new life, there's incredible joy on this road of relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what's happening all over the place. Again, hearts are being transformed. They're hearing the good news of Jesus, and they're receiving it, and it's changing their lives. But what you start to realize is that the enemy hates this, right? Anything that's new life in Christ, he wants to steal, he wants to kill, he wants to destroy. And so the enemy has figured out a way that he can destroy this movement or at least he thinks he can. And so in verse 1 we see, some men, and though some men were, were Jewish Christians, so they they too had come to know Jesus as their Savior, they were probably Pharisees, and they came, and they came down to uh, teach those that listen. I want you to understand that we need to tell you about how to have Christian life. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's pretty strong words, isn't it? They're in love with Jesus. They're dancing with joy about their salvation. But here come men that came on their own authority. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well who said this? Well they're saying, I think, we're the voice of God, really. And we know he didn't say it, but we're pretty sure that's what he meant. Pretty sure he wants you to be circumcised. And so what it does is stirs up these new believers. And it brings them to that place again, like we saw what could have been with the tribesmen. What must we do to be saved? What is the road to salvation? As they're being stirred up by these men from Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas step in in verse 2, and they enter into a significant debate, and they decide, listen, we are going to go to the church leaders in Jerusalem and to the elders. We need to seek wisdom in this matter. It is a significant matter, and we need to enter in. And so they go, verse 3, and they're... They're starting to walk through Phoenicia and Samaria. And I love love what the scriptures say. It says they're going through and they're they're telling all the brothers in Phoenicia and Samaria all that God had done. And all that he'd been doing with the Gentiles, and how they're turning their hearts to Jesus. And then what does the scripture say? What did it bring? It brings great joy. People are trying to squash that great joy in Christ. I'm pretty sure the angels showed up and they said, they announced, I bring you good news of great joy. The Messiah, the Savior is going to be born unto you. He's going to bring great joy, the good news of the gospel. And when that good news pours into people's hearts and they received it, there's great joy, especially in eternity. You know, there's a party going on. All the angels are dancing and singing and praising God because hearts have been turned over to Jesus. Their lives surrendered. But you can see the group say, well, listen, we appreciate the great joy, but can you express that a little more quietly? because it doesn't quite fit into actually the way, the box that we've framed up here. Here's the structure for proper Christianity. So if you could just tone it down a bit. Paul and Barnabas are like, you got to be kidding. We're going to go to the council. We've got to enter into this. And so in verse 4, they go and they're welcomed in. And what do they do again? They share, they declare, all that God has done People's lives are being changed forever. And right in the middle of sharing all that God has done, I can can envision right in the middle of Paul's statements being cut off, right as he's sharing the good news of the work of the Holy Spirit, look at verse 5. The Pharisees speak up, and they say, It is necessary, look at these demanding words, It is necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. My goodness, they've taken on the form of God. We declare it is necessary, and we order them. God didn't declare that. So for some of these new believers, these Jewish believers... The road to salvation is this. It's Jesus plus. Jesus plus. The Jewish believers were telling the Gentile converts that faith in Jesus was not enough. They were saying it's not sufficient for salvation. They must add to their faith. Specifically, they must convert to Judaism. And follow its practices, the law of Moses. And secondly, they must be circumcised. That was the sign of the covenant relationship with God. Listen to what John Stott says. I love how he dives into this. They must let Moses complete what Jesus had begun, let the law supplement the gospel. The issue was immense. The way of salvation was at stake. The gospel was in dispute. The very foundations of the Christian faith were being undermined. And so in verse 6, they come to the, the Jewish council and they go into much debate. They were weighing out heavily this matter before them. Because it was so significant. John Stock continues on. The issue can be clarified by a series of questions. Is the sinner saved by sheer grace of God in and through Christ crucified? When he or she simply believes, that is, flees to Jesus for refuge, has Jesus, by his death and resurrection, done everything necessary for salvation. Are we saved partly through the grace of Christ and partly through our own good works and religious performance? Is it justification, sola fide, by faith alone, or through a mixture of faith and works, grace and the law, Jesus and Moses? Are we combining all these things? This is how we're saved? Are Gentile believers a sect of Judaism? Or are they authentic members of this beautiful multinational family? See, it wasn't an issue of Jewish cultural practices which were at stake, but it was the truth of the gospel and the future of the church. Christ had saved all these Gentiles, and they had turned their hearts to him. And now there are those who say, no, that's not quite right. So in verse 7, Peter stands up. Peter, actually, who struggled with this issue in Galatians 2, you can search that out later today. Peter stands up, he reminds him, he was sent... To the Gentiles, Remember what happened with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. I showed up and they were ready for the gospel. And I shared the gospel with Cornelius, the Roman centurion, all his family, they came to know the love of Jesus. And then look at verse 8, because this is key. And God who knows the heart, and God who knows the heart, he bore witness to them, by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. God's a heart-knower, cardiognostes He's a heart-knower, and he bore witness. What that means is, he approved. Cornelius and his family, when they accepted Jesus, he approved it. And what's the proof of that? The proof is, he knew their heart And because he knew their hearts were turned to him, what did he do? He sent the Holy Spirit upon them. That's a sign. You see, the Holy Spirit is given to those who have put their faith in Jesus, who are children of God. He proved it. He bore witness. They are saved. They don't need to convert to Judaism. And verse 9 says, He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith, There is no distinction. That means there's no separation. There's no judgment that one is better than the other. They have been cleansed. Their hearts have been healed, cleansed from sin. This is what God knows of them. You see, God always looks at the heart. He doesn't look at the outward and putting on the show and trying to look all glossy. He looks right into our heart. And so he knows the heart of the Gentiles, and he sent the Holy Spirit upon them as they believed. Therefore, verse 10, why are you putting God to the test, placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers or we have been able to bear? Why are you putting God on trial, really? Why are you trying to make him prove this? Why are you provoking him when it's already been revealed? We could not, as a Jewish people, do enough sacrifice. We could not keep the law. And yet you're trying to put this yoke, you're trying to place this weight upon the Gentile believers. Why are you doing that? This yoke is Jesus plus, and nobody can bear it. Nobody can. I wanted to ask you, think about this for a minute. How do we as Christians, how do we as the church, place a yoke of Jesus plus on people? What does that look like? The identifier for the Jewish people was circumcision. One of the identifiers for us today of our relationship with Jesus is baptism. And sometimes we can put the yoke of Jesus plus, which is you cannot be saved unless you're baptized. Have you heard that before? Maybe some of you grew up in that tradition. It's Jesus plus. Jesus asked us to be baptized. He was baptized himself. He wants us to be baptized to identify that we follow with him. But is it necessary, and should we order people, you better be baptized, otherwise you're not saved. No. No. That's Jesus Plus. I remember a young man, he was a college student at BSU, and he had come to know Jesus, and he fell in love with Jesus, and he was going to be baptized in the river with, with this uh, group that had led him to Jesus. He was so excited. He said, Rod, would you come down and be part of my baptism? Be down there with me. Sure enough, I went down, and, and they hopped in the river, and, and they baptized him, and he came up out of the river just full of the joy of the Lord and hugging everybody around him, those who baptized him. And as he came out and he was starting to give me a hug and he was all wet, the leader of the group angrily said, get him back in the water. He didn't go all the way under. Literally, he was not fully immersed. Put him back in the water. And just all the joy, I mean, just... And there were some men who came down to say, you must be circumcised. Maybe sometimes we do Jesus Plus by we're keeping track of how often you're going to church, Bible studies, and we'll say things like, oh, I've missed you, but what you're really saying is, why haven't you been in church the last several weeks? Here's the mode of Christianity. We're supposed to be going all the time. Sometimes it's just the way we look or dress. I think we're getting better in that as a culture, but I think we still kind of go, Christians should look a certain way, maybe more like us, a little cleaner. Sometimes maybe we do Jesus Plus because some people are a little too messy. Do you know what I mean? Their lives are a little too messed up. That doesn't fit in our box of Christianity and what it should look like. You go and give someone a hug, and they still smell like smoke. And in your mind, you're like, don't they know their body is a temple of Jesus? Jesus plus. Jesus plus. In the health and prosperity moment, movement, it can look like this. If we're not seeing manifestations of the Spirit speaking in tongues, or healings, or a second filling of the Spirit, then you're not sure of your Christianity. If you're not healed after the laying on of hands and much prayer, then you are lacking in faith. Jesus plus. If you're not prosperous, then you're not receiving the blessings of the Lord. Jesus plus. Is Jesus plus the road to salvation? Is that what relationship with Jesus Christ looks like? Am I living like a Christian should? Am I even a Christian? So the response from the apostles and the elders and Peter stands up and he says this in verse 11. No. This is the key verse. Don't lose this. We believe we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as the Gentiles will. We believe we'll be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as the Gentiles will. You see, this is the real road to salvation. It's the grace of God, Jesus alone. And verse 12 is a powerful one. And all the assembly fell silent. Shh. Do you know why that was, I believe? I think the Holy Spirit was convicting their hearts. I think truth was penetrating their hearts. And it was just like, yes, this is good and this is right. And forgive us, Jesus. Forgive us, Father, for trying to add Jesus plus. And Barnabas and Paul tell their story. And then James stands up in verse 13, the half-brother of Jesus. James the just, James the wise... And he tells the story, he adds the history out of Amos about all that God was doing and preparing for the Gentiles that they would come into the family. You see, the Word of God confirms the truth. It's not Jesus plus. Let's look to the Word of God and what God is preparing all the way through. There's going to be Gentiles who are going to be brought into the family of Christ. We always need to look to the Word when we're seeking the Lord's will, when we're entering into an area of significant discussion about truth. And so James says in verse 19, Therefore, after hearing everything, my judgment is this, that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. My offering, my determination, my deep conviction is this. Let us stop putting this yoke, this heavy burden, this harassment upon them. Stop now. Let us encourage them to abstain from a few things. Things polluted from idols, sexual immorality, from what has been strangled by blood and blood. And when you read that list, it seems kind of odd at first, doesn't it? I think, I think it draws to the place where Peter Discusses in other, in other scriptures in Corinthians about food sacrificed to idols. Don't eat that. You're free in Christ. You're free in Christ. You can eat it. But what it does is it stirs, up, it stirs up other brothers who have these convictions like, no, I shouldn't be eating that. And I think that's what he's getting at here. Listen, in, in every town, they're, they're teaching the law of Moses, they're doing the Torah. In every town there's a synagogue and they're following the way of Moses. They're new believers too, these Jews, who've given their hearts to Jesus. But don't in front of them enter into the eating of meats from idols. That messes with their conscience before the Lord. And I think James is trying to help the Gentile Christians to concede to the conscience of the new Jewish believers because for them to partake in such things would be a real struggle for them and would throw them in a difficult place. Let's live in community together, loving each other, honoring each other, as we both draw together towards Christ. So that was the message that came down from James and the council. So they sent the brothers to deliver the message. And I think they sent brothers to deliver it, as not just bring it to them, They sent brothers who were going to speak forth. This is what the council decided. And I think the reason they did that is so they could hear the the tone of grace. It's kind of like when we get a text message or an email, right? We We don't hear the tone. And sometimes that throws us into a lot of confusion. But here's the brothers who went, and they brought this message of grace. And they also, I think, acknowledged what great pain they've caused them. Verse 24 is significant. They acknowledge the pain, I believe, of the trouble and confusion that they brought them into, of the spiritual confusion of Jesus plus, because Jesus plus is so destructive to our faith. From out of us came men. They didn't have our authority. And the scriptures say, verse 24, they troubled you with words that is, they threw you into great confusion. We're sorry for that. So much so that it unsettled your minds. This is the big deal here. Unsettled your minds. This is where the real damage of Jesus plus can, what can do. Unsettling of mind, that, that word in the original language, has the idea of packing up your bags in order to leave. Of moving your furniture in order to go to another home, to turn violently away from that which is right position to a different position. What I want you to understand and what that's saying is they were so unsettled that they were close to packing up their faith and turning away violently. That's what Jesus Plus does to people, it rocks their world. But grace from leadership came. And verse 25 says, "They came together in one accord, in one mind. And the scriptures are really clear in verse 25, that the early church drove Hondas. We're, we're clear there. They came in one accord. We just want you to know that. That's my dad joke for the day. I'm going to be here all week, by the way. They had one mind. They had a spirit of unanimity. They would go, and it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, verse 28, and to us to lay no greater burden upon you. This is how the elders of this church desire to function. That when we deal with issues that, even though we may not see eye to eye at first, our desire is that we come to one mind in the Holy Spirit, that we're listening to the voice of the Lord, that we're listening to one another as he's speaking to each elder, that we're trying to follow that we're going into the word of God to confirm the truth that he has for us. And so it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us that this is the way it should be. Pray for us as elders. We continually strive to live that way in this church as we lead. We really seek the mind of Christ. And so the grace was received and look what happened when they brought the message down. There was great joy and it encouraged the brothers so that the church could live and they could move ahead in peace. It was so encouraging them to hear from the brothers, oh my goodness, it's not Jesus plus. Grace and faith, you know what they do? Grace and faith, they level us out. There's real koinonia, there's real Fellowship with a common goal of loving the Lord and loving others. Recognizing that we're all broken sinners in need of a Savior. All Jesus, all Jesus, none of us. He did everything for our salvation. We strip Christ of the cross and all that he did when we say we need to add to that. Thank you for dying on the cross, but we need to add more. And we basically call him a liar. I know you told us that you paid the full debt for us, but I'm sure there's more we need to do. Ephesians 2 8. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God not as a result of works so that no one may boast let me finish with this story in South Korea in South Korea children are being abandoned all over the place left in the streets to die by desperate mothers who have no place it's actually happening all over the world but it's becoming very significant in South Korea There's a documentary that was put out. It's called The Dropbox. I highly recommend you watching it. And what was happening is these babies were being left on the streets, and then eventually there was a church, and Pastor Lee, who was a pastor of this church, he, he started to see these babies left everywhere, and then some were left at the doorstep of the church, but out in the cold. And so he would gather the babies, and then the Lord spoke to him, And gave them this idea to create a drop box. The box opens from the outside. It also opens from the inside of the church. It's about the size of a bassinet. And inside it has a heating lamp and a light. And so desperate mothers, desperate mothers, when they have nowhere else to turn and we're just going to leave their babies on the street, they're showing up at the church and they're putting their babies in the drop box. And Pastor Lee is taking these babies in. He has 20 or so that are actually in his home, and then the other people are longing to take these children. Brian Irvine, who watched just the amazing love and sacrifice of Pastor Lee, amazing grace that was being poured out from him. He was doing filming the movie, producing the movie, didn't know Jesus, but as he saw Pastor Lee loving these helpless kids, he thought, oh my gosh, I'm just like this. I'm a helpless baby who needs to be rescued. I can't do it on my own. And he was so impacted by the love of Jesus through Pastor Lee that during the filming of this movie, he surrendered his heart to Jesus like a helpless baby, utterly dependent on the work of Christ on the cross and his gift of salvation. Grace through faith. Jesus alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray this morning that you will pour out your grace upon us. May we know for sure and to the core that it's all you and nothing of us. And and Father, forgive us when we even try, when we attempt to do more. And when we place that burden on others of what they should look like as followers of Jesus. So Heavenly Father, I just pray this morning that you will minister your grace to us. In your beautiful and precious name, amen.